Radio Mano Papachango. This is Arlie. I talked to you a little bit on Instagram. You told me to leave your book in a, in a homestay somewhere, and you'll send me a new copy. That's very generous. Thank you. Uh, currently in Dalat, Vietnam, taking my motorbike up to some coffee plantation somewhere where I'm going to stay for about a month, uh, volunteer in exchange for room and board. So much of what I'm doing right now is uh, uh, you have given me the fuel and the confidence to do that. Uh, thank you so much. I love you. Uh, in a, a platonically. Bye bye. All right. Hi, Chris. I'm just out here in some of the most beautiful nature that you can find, not too far from suburbia in South Australia. I hope you can hear that. We are tripping balls on mescaline. It's so beautiful. Wish you could be here to ah. see it. Hi Chris, this is Carlin. I'm calling from the top of a university building in St. Paul, Minnesota. Looking at downtown Minneapolis skyline. It's a beautiful sunny day and I'm just taking a little breather from work, I am currently insulating some vent ducts that serve the laboratories in this building. And I just thought I'd let you know what I'm doing while I'm listening to your podcast. Thanks for keeping me company. Keep it up. Damn, here's a secret. Uh, I love hearing from, from people out there, Arlie and Dalat and trippers in australia and carlin on the rooftop i love hearing from all of you and it's it's beautiful when you say that um in some way this podcast has inspired you to go out and and do whatever it is you're doing um but the secret is that you guys inspire the fuck out of me too so it's a two-way street for sure um it's all a mystery as i've said many times i don't really understand the nature of our relationship, but I'm very grateful for it. And, uh, yeah, I, I ran into a guy yesterday here in Bangkok. Uh, very interesting. Like I, I walked into a, a Starbucks actually, uh, going to get a coffee cause I didn't have any money and, uh, I didn't have any Thai money and I thought I could use my Starbucks app to buy some coffee. And it turns out that they don't Starbucks in Thailand don't uh, honor the American app. I didn't know there was a difference. I thought apps were global. I thought this was the age of global apps. Anyway, um, I was standing in line and this guy came up to me and just said, Hey man, I just finished your book yesterday. Just wanted to say hello. It's like, he didn't even say, are you Chris Ryan? He just like, Hey, there you are. Uh, point being really nice guy. And just this sort of friendliness of strangers is inspiring to me and the fact that there are people all, all over the world right now listening to these words that I'm recording in a hotel room in Bangkok 
uh, with a bag of macadamia nuts in front of me and a bunch of junk lying around in very humble surroundings is what I'm trying to say. Uh, it is just inspiring and mind-blowing, and I'm eternally grateful. So, uh, with that said, I am in Bangkok. I'm uh, chilling out. I've been in... I went through, as I think I mentioned in the last episode, um, it's been a pretty crazy couple of weeks. Um, flew to Spain very briefly to um, spend some time with my ex-girlfriend, Peggy, whose husband, Nacho, had just died, uh, spent three nights there, got to go see a Barcelona soccer match, football match. Uh, that was very cool. Messi scored a hat trick for any of you who follow football. Uh, and uh, Suarez scored an amazing heel goal, which he said was the greatest goal of his career, which is pretty fucking cool. And I was there for that with my buddy Brian uh, in Camp No. And then uh, spent a couple of three nights in Sitges with Peggy. And uh, man, she's amazing. Talk about inspirational. She's just, she just somehow keeps it all together and uh, is, is just a wonderful person. Anyway, the point is, I was in Spain a few days, flew back to L.A., finished moving out of the apartment in a day and a half, got everything into a storage locker in Chatsworth, uh, dropped the van off with Oliver, who's going to, I hope, use the van and have a good time with it. Oliver, if you're listening to me, uh, Oliver, being the very Jesus-like figure he is, is like, well, I'm going to put in some cabinets and I'm going to you know, fix this electrical system and I'm going to do that. And it's like, no, dude, I'm not leaving the van with you so you can work on it. I'm leaving the van with you so you can enjoy it. So if you're if you're listening, Oliver, take the van out in the desert and enjoy it. Don't worry about working on it. Thank you. Um, anyway, did all that, moved out of the apartment, jumped on an airplane, flew to Maui, was in Maui for, I think, five days, uh, staying at the compound of an artist by the name of Tom Sewell, who you're going to get to know uh, in a week or two because I recorded a podcast with him that... I'll be posting soon. Extraordinary dude. It was his 80th birthday. He's a good buddy of Tal Ruspoli, uh, which is why uh, my connection to him. And um, so stayed there uh, for a few days with Tom and some of his friends who are just, holy shit, just amazing people. There was um, a Russian cellist named Georgi uh, Gusev, who is uh, just an extraordinary musician. I did a podcast with him as well. That's coming soon. Uh, there was um, another guy, um, Dennis, uh, fuck, I forget his last name right now, but he's the production designer for uh, a bunch of films. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to do a podcast with him. Um, he was busy doing other things and uh, I didn't want to be too pushy, but hopefully I'll hook up with him in LA at some point. He is the production designer on six Coen Brother films, three Bond films, uh, the new Blade Runner that just came out. In other words, Hollywood elite, uh, extraordinary guy. Uh, I mean, he creates worlds. He did the Truman Show, lots of shows. So I'm really hoping to get a chance to speak with him. Uh, yeah, and then uh, flew, well, sort of flew from Maui to Bangkok. Um, unfortunately, it was one of those situations where we're on the plane 
and we push off from the gate and then there's like this weird pause and then the pilot comes on and says oh we've got some sort of uh, issue with a sensor we gotta go back to the gate they're gonna check it out so they do that they check it out okay an hour later everything's fine okay we're gonna push off again push off get up you know what that sensor thing's coming up again we're gonna so it went back three we ended up sitting on in the plane on the tarmac for almost four hours before they said you know we're gonna have to switch planes so then we spent eight hours in the airport they gave us a 15 dollar credit a voucher uh, $15 in an airport, as you probably know, will get you a bottle of water, basically. Uh, but uh, so we spent another, I don't know, eight, nine hours in the airport. Then we got on another plane and flew to Tokyo, where there was a six-hour layover. And uh, anyway, I don't mean to be one of those people who just whines about his or her airport experience. My point is that I am so fucking jet lagged right now that I can't I don't know who or where or what I am um yeah it occurred to me the jet lag might be as close as I get to PMS like I my mood changes I'm in a good mood and suddenly I just feel like I want to strangle something uh I'm full of energy and then I'm, I just want to collapse and sleep on the floor wherever I happen to be standing um yeah, so I got a bad case of that. So let me try to finish this up before I turn into a raging lunatic or fall asleep on the mic here. Uh, so this episode is with a guy named uh, Ramesh Srinivasan. Srinivasan. Srinivasan, I'm pretty sure is how you say it. Um, I met Ramesh uh, during that sort of frenzy in L.A. He's a super interesting guy. I'm just going to read to you from his website. He's been a faculty member at UCLA since 2005 in the Information Studies and Design Media Arts Department. He's a surrogate for Senator Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign on issues of tech technology policy. And uh, he's the author of the books Who's Global Village? Rethinking How Technology Impacts Our World and After the Internet. Uh, his, his most recent book is Beyond the Valley, uh, out from MIT Press, and it explores the relationship between new technologies and our political, economic, and social lives. So, as you can imagine, right up, the, uh, up, up my alley here in terms of how technology either improves or uh, corrodes the, our quality of life. Um, and he's another... Uh, guy who's come on the podcast via Malcolm of the Young Turks. Malcolm, thank you so much. Malcolm is like my fairy godfather. Is there such a thing as a fairy godfather? Hmm. Played by Marlon Brando, perhaps? The fairy godfather. I'm going to make you an offer you're going to love. Uh, anyway, Malcolm, thank you for again for connecting me with so many fascinating people. All right. Ramesh Srinivasan, I am just going to shut up and uh, get right to the podcast. There are some uh, sponsorship things I'm supposed to be talking to you about, but you know what? I think I'm just going to skip it. Let's do a sponsorship-free episode here because my mind is too scrambled to remember what I'm supposed to say and what links I'm supposed to give you and all that business. So we'll do it in the next episode. Uh, the next episode. Um but I do want to remind you uh, that you can sponsor the podcast at my brand new website, 
same address, chrisryanphd.com or thatchrisryan.com or tangentiallyspeaking.com. It all leads to the same place. There is a sponsorship thing. Uh, If you do sponsor the podcast, if you can afford it and you're feeling it, I really appreciate it. It makes this thing uh, sort of self-propelling, which is so fantastic. Um, And there are some episodes that are coming up with people that I haven't even met yet in Thailand. I guarantee it. I'm going to go to Chiang Mai next in a few days, tomorrow, actually, tomorrow. And, uh, And I'm going to start meeting people and I'm going to introduce them to you. And that's all because enough of you throw some money in the bucket that uh, I can afford to do things like this. Also, I put all my shit in a storage locker, so I'm not paying rent right now, which is very helpful. I I highly recommend it. Um, Anyway, yeah, there's a sponsorship thing. And if you do sponsor the podcast, there are perks, you know, T-shirts, signed copies of the books, uh, free downloads of eBooks, stuff like that. And uh, even if you don't sponsor the podcast, if you want a T-shirt or a signed copy of the books or whatever you want, just uh, go to the shop, the store on the website, and Mom will send stuff out to you. Thank you so much. Whatever you do to support this is greatly appreciated by me. Um, Yeah, and even if you don't have any cash, don't worry about it. Got you covered. Uh, You know, reviews are always helpful on iTunes. Tell your friends, write a review on whatever app you're using. All those things are very helpful. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I will leave you at that. Thank you so much for listening to this and for being part of this tangentially speaking community of wonderful weirdos and lunatics. Speaking of weirdos and lunatics, uh, I, I am, I cop to that. I'm one of them. Uh, And I'm so happy that my life has become so bizarre that it even surprises me how bizarre things are sometimes. I'm going to play you out with a song that somebody sent to me. Um, It's a a German rap tune that features my voice. Nobody saw that coming. Am I right? Uh, Okay, The, the artist... Uh, is called it's very okay this is kind of strange it's Hans who sent me the stuff but if you want to follow them or or learn more more about them uh, there's an Instagram account and it's um, I'm just going to spell it it's P-O-E T-E-N Leben L-E-B-E-N so it's Putin Leben I guess I think Leben is life I'm not sure what Putin is um it's a book by Robert Walzer, apparently. Um, but anyway, the, the band and or the artist is Puntenleben, P-O-E-T-E-N-L-E-B-E-N. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. I think the song is called Buoyancy. Uh, at least that's how it's translated. And uh, it's kind of uh, interesting and bizarre and cool. So I hope you enjoy it. Enjoy it. I'll talk to you very soon. Bye. Ohne Plan und Vernunft mit den Jahren aus der Kluft Ja, ich jage die Lust, was ist los? Es ist bloß eine große Maskerade Weiße Waren, der Nase, Nase, weiß, weiß die Ware Antwort auf die Frage, ja, ja 
Ein Hashtag 2 bei der Haben, Helikopter in Scharen über werdenden Haaren. Stolz patrouillieren, zugezogen auf Warten. Will dir einer was raten, ist der Meist in sein Tage. Ich bleib beim Meister im Rate, meine Leiste im Magen. Ja, die Jahre, sie lagen, wer bin ich schon zu fragen? Wo sind nur halt die Waren? Menschen haben die Sklaven, Survivor und Soldaten, die der Macht nichts entkamen. Zu viel Fake am Hadern, keinen Vater nach Rahmen, keine Fessel am Fuß. Nur ein eiserner Wille bringt dem Herzen Frohmut. Ich erklimme die Höhe mit brennendem Wein, doch die Früchte sind klein. Es braucht mehr Schufterei, liegt am Boden wie Blei und ein Dieber rennt frei. Bleibt mir ehrlich auf, ehrlich, wer sich nicht traut, wird es einmal bereuen. Ich bleib für immer am Träumen So the whole fucking thing is a scam Und hier wacht auf die Räudigen Entfersen weißen in den Finsternis Aus dem Hinterhalt her schleichende Ich bleib verwurzelt im Geistigen In meiner Zone mit dem Besten der Meinigen Es trübt ein Schatten, das Schlichten drin war Die ganze Nacht lang am Tresen hängen raus dann ins Gegenlicht Was los mit seinem Gesicht, Erinnerung, die mit dem Pegel geht Doch die harte Arzt hat doch, wenn's Holz schon reißt Und zeitlos Illusion wie Unsterblichkeit Und nein, der Reim hört nie auf, denn er ist ein Teil Meiner selbst, so wie alles im Feld in allen Und ja, ein freies Herz schlägt auch so Widrigkeit Denn eines hat keine Angst vor Entbehrlichkeit So the whole idea is like we're on this wheel and and the whole society is saying run faster, run faster. And the truth is the faster you run, it doesn't bring you anything except exhaustion. Yeah. And then your life's over. So the whole fucking thing is a scam. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I am sitting in a studio at NPR headquarters in Culver City with Ramesh. Let me try it. Srinivasan. It's really good. Srinivasan. Srinivasan. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, uh, first of all, shout out to our buddy Malcolm. Put us in touch. Yeah. Thanks, Malcolm. Malcolm's the best. Um, Malcolm's been such a benefactor to me, too. He's just like always has my back. It's. You know, I, I read an article recently uh, in the archives of The New Yorker by Malcolm Gladwell called Six Degrees of Lois Weis, Weisberg or something like that. Right. It's a really interesting article. I'll send you a link. It's online. Uh, if people want to read it. There are PDFs of it up there. Um, but it's about this woman who no one has ever heard of her, but she connects other people. She's yeah. a hub, and she's yeah. just really good at anticipating, oh, I know someone who you should meet, and and turns out they start a company that goes global, or yeah. they get married and have a great family or whatever. It's like, great. And that's her contribution to the world, putting people together. I feel yeah. like Malcolm has some of that. And it's intuition also, right? He's sort of, he's it's, it's clear like he sort of sees and feels connections with people, and he has a sense of like what their energies would look like when they come together. Yeah, you know? yeah. He's done that with me a lot. Well, he's I'm, a producer, we should say. With Mal- the young term. 
Turks. With the Young Turks, right. So he yeah. sort of does this for a living, but he knows so many people. And Yeah, he brought me into the Young Turks, and now I'm very close with them. I guest host for them. Right. I literally just did an interview with them. I do all sorts of stuff with them. Yeah. And that's yeah. just been a wonderful thing. I'm doing my book event, um, this new book, Beyond the Valley, this coming Thursday with Anna Kasparian. Oh, the great. Turks. Yeah, so I know Anna. She's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're great. Anyway, uh, enough about Malcolm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about us. Uh, so your book, Beyond the Valley, the valley uh, referring to Silicon Valley. And, and metaphorically, just any sort of concentrated system of power right. that uh, determines and shapes the world outside of it. Right. So we only have about 40 minutes to do this podcast, so I'm going to skip the part where I sort of, you know, we meander around and I ask you where you grew up and, and try to get to know you as a person, um, because I think the subject matter of your book is so important that maybe we can... Uh, I can weave that into it. You too. can weave it in yeah. or we can do another episode someday. I would love that. Um, but the, you know, the, your... The thesis, I haven't read the book. I, I um, watched some of your previous interviews and, and read uh, your webpage. Um, it's so important to the world we're living in. Um, give us an, you know, the old elevator yeah. pitch. I'm sure you have that worked out. You're on yeah. book tour now. You've got all these quotable Absolutely. quotes. So just so people know what we're talking about, what's yeah. the uh, sort of elevator pitch? Absolutely. So, you know, the Internet was publicly funded. It just turned 50 years old. The first point, first note of the internet was actually at UCLA where right. I'm a professor. Just down the hall from your office. Just yeah. down the hall, like yeah. kind of, you know, like just like a five, 10 minute walk across yeah. a beautiful campus. And it was publicly funded. It was funded by taxpayer money. Um, the internet on a sort of network architecture level, but even on an experiential level, and this is something we both remember, and many of your listeners will remember, felt decentralized it felt democratic and mm. it's awesome i mean a lot of the early communities that took up the internet were like you know counterculture communities um you know deadhead communities uh back to the earth environmental communities um even sort of some connections to indigenous communities um, these were communities that saw the internet as a new place for a new way of being a new modality of communication where anyone could be a publisher. Yeah. It was peer to peer. Right. So as the internet expanded in its reach across uh, the planet, and definitely in a very dominant way in our country and in the global north, in Europe and Canada and so on, it became. It, we reached this point where the where really we only go on the internet. We only ever went on the internet to see what one another posts to see to ex communicate with one another and porn and porn. Right, which is also posted by people, and you know, media companies. <laughs> yeah. Totally, yeah. don't forget porn. Yeah. Never forget porn. Absolutely, especially and, talking about the internet. Yeah, right? and it's a huge, huge aspect. Oh, it's a of driver. It, huge aspect of it. Yeah. And what happened is we needed to figure out how to deal with the fact that the amount of information that was on the internet became astronomical. Hmm. It exponentialized. It became, you know, we're talking about trillions upon trillions of pieces of data. And, and pieces of content that are on the internet. So it became unnavigable, right? So we wanted to turn to efficient platforms, services. These came out of Silicon Valley to get the signal out of the noise. And I came up in this world, you know, I'm from Silicon Valley. I'm a first generation Indian American kid. I was always into like art and philosophy and religious studies and all, you know, I was a DJ in college and all so this stuff. So you're not an engineer? 
I became an engineer nonetheless. Ah, really? really? <laughs> so I'm an engineer and an AI trained engineer from Stanford, huh. you know, very much from the hub of all of yeah. this. And I went to MIT for graduate school. So I really saw this, but I also saw as these, as, as the amount of information, you know, became astronomical, we turned to corporate private services to make sense of everything. And those services are companies like Google that help us find us find information, but they also became the biggest media company in the history of the world, which could be, you could see YouTube as that, but also Facebook. Facebook is not a tech company only. It's a media company. Yeah. We turn to the Airbnbs to, to be the places to become the biggest hotel provider, accommodation provider in the history of the world. Uber for taxis. So what happened is we turned to private corporate corporations that, as we know very well in America, are governed by the key point, as all companies are, especially big for-profit ones, profit and valuation. And so naturally, their experiences in relation to us will be to amass as much of those things as possible. What we didn't realize is in the process of doing so, we weren't just giving data to them to be provided with better soap or better, you know, toothpaste or whatever, or advertisements, which more or less Americans are okay with. We gave them power over data that they could use to behaviorally modify us, influence our experiences of the wider world, keep us addicted to various technologies, and on a level of scale, fragment our society as we know it. Yeah. Um, thread in working people and break up the kind of basic concepts of a democracy, which is everybody has some sort of equal, more or less, uh, baseline of understanding the world and understanding the nation, understanding what it, what news is, and so on. So, what ended up occurring are 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 you know huge uh, challenges and threats to many of the foundational aspects of our country and more largely the world as we know it. Um, we see these issues impacting labor and economic justice. We see these issues impacting, obviously, our election. We see these issues. This is very sad. We see these issues impacting people of color, indigenous people, minorities. Those with less power already in the world are increasingly criminalized and subordinated by these technologies. Yeah. And then on a global level, and my new book, Beyond the Valley, looks at these issues on a global level, communities, especially indigenous peoples, but peoples across the global south, the African continent, South Asia, Latin America, South America, uh, they are really wreaking, a lot of havoc has come their way because of what has occurred through technologies created by elites for elites, where the rest of the world is more or less seen as just data points to, to grab grab data, keep their attention mm. at all at all costs. And so, sticking with the global level, um, do you see a way to address this? Yeah, I mean, obviously, publishers love to have a takeaway. They want it to end on an upbeat. They yeah. want to know, okay, that's the problem. How do we solve it? Yeah. Um, I'm interested to hear your your solution, and I warn you, I'm I'm anti solution. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to be a solution? Okay, so, so well, I mean, if there, because I feel like the the nature of technology is to concentrate power. That's what it always does, and it's been wielded certainly for those aims. And you know, we did see histories with the internet where it supported these kind of DIY countercultural movements, people's power, right. uh, communities that are not part of like the global elite. Um, but at the same time, yeah, absolutely. Um, there are, there's a lot we can do. And in beyond the Valley, the book, I would say in a large, in, in a large sense is optimistic. Um, 
Um, and um, so I would, I, it actually not only uh, calls out the problems that are at play here when it comes to the concentration of power over technology, but also speaks to what we can do about these issues. And most importantly, it's podcasts like this to expose the problems, hmm. but also in this podcast, what I'm going to advocate for now is a different image, right? Where corporations say, hey, okay, we, de- we deserve some money, some services, some revenue, some valuation for our efficient services, for our services that are good for consumers, but it can't come at the cost of the rest of us. And what can we do about it? Well, there's many things. First and foremost, these communities across the world that are profited upon by our technologies because they're because people in those parts of the world are providing data to those systems that are then being used for all sorts of value for those companies, trillion plus dollar valuated companies. They have to have accordingly be provided with the power to have governance, auditing, and social responsibility. So when Facebook enters the country of Burma, which we now find out through mm-hmm. Facebook's you know, disastrous ignorance of the realities of Burma ended up creating a situation where a community, the Rohingya Muslim minority, was had a genocide committed against them, partly because Facebook mischaracterized the community that had the genocide committed against them as the terrorists. So none of their posts, none of their content, none of their video journalism circulated at all. And instead, the narratives of the killers the state, the military, ended up circulating, right? So what should Facebook do instead? It can't go into Burma unless it decide, unless it carefully and thoughtfully works with Burmese civil society organizations, which you can't just be naive about it. You need to give up power to some extent and be collaborative in, the, in relation to the people and communities that your technologies reach. But when does power ever surrender power voluntarily? Who's going to force Facebook to do this? We're doing things? it right now, man. I mean, it's, we're, we're doing it by exposing them to these issues and by pressuring them and threatening them, not even threatening, but pressuring them to be more globally accountable. I mean, off the record, it was told to me that you know, Facebook has around three or so billion users, especially if you include WhatsApp and Instagram, they own both of them. Uh, they are uh, globally monetizing people, but they, only, they have less than 20 people working for their global governance office. 20 people. Yeah. And many of the people that Facebook employs in other countries in the global south are, are exploited content moderators, not even call center workers, mm. but content moderators who are being exposed to like dick pics and hateful content. Yeah. A and really I, high I, suicide rate. High right? suicide rate, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so that's what needs to shift. So I'm, I, I do have optimism. You can probably feel that because I think that uh, by my writing this book and seeing all the publicity, it's uh, like all the interest in it, by seeing that 48 attorney generals in a highly politically divided country want to do something about Facebook for different reasons. <laughs> yeah. Republicans have their own reasons. We could talk about that. Yeah. Um, We see bipartisan agreement uh, and cross-demographic agreement in this country to rein in big tech in certain Mm. ways. Um, Vox did a poll that came out about a month ago. People across the demographic spectrum, age, gender, race, you know, uh, geography, uh, political uh, party affiliation, they all feel it's gone too far. So here's a sweet spot for us to introduce. It could be legislative, it could be regulatory, it could be just, uh, you know, asking and forcing them to be be not just rhetorical, but actually be good for their word. There's a lot we can do right now. And now is the inflection point where we can make that happen. That's why I wrote Beyond the Valley, because I really believe that we can do something about it. I also wanted to tell the story of how we got to this point, 
I interviewed a lot of leading political figures. Also, you know,、uh, people like Elizabeth Warren and David Axelrod, and a lot of Bernie people,、um, a lot of Ro Khanna, the congressman who Malcolm introduced me to,、um, just a lot of other amazing folks, labor leaders, human rights leaders. Um, even corporate leaders. I, I interviewed, and, and a lot of people across the world as well. I interviewed a lot of people to get their thoughts on stuff, and it's quite clear to me that there's a path forward. The well, question is, why is, is this we... an important point? Why,、yeah. why, why are they particularly vulnerable right now? Yeah, because、uh, we now have political agreement in this country to do something about these issues.、Uh, that's one. Two is we are increasingly realizing with the automation and gig economy situations,、uh, a lot of people are concerned because a lot of people may choose to act and and vote a certain way or support a certain agenda because of their economic livelihoods. Because、mm. the economic livelihoods of working and middle class people are at severe risk, not because of the internet, but. All the new trends in technology are going to make a situation of profound inequality. Right, three people equivalent wealth、yeah. to fifty percent, eight in this country. Well, that the only thing I disagree with、exactly. is you're speaking in the future tense. I think we're already there. Yeah, we're right, happening right, right now.、It's、the the the, the,、yeah. the separation of of、uh, access to resources is higher than it's ever been since、yeah. the twenties. That's probably right, including the twenties at this point. And the inflection point, though, is the internet and the the private corporate dominated internet, which the st- Which the state works with, right? Because the state are clients of the private right, corporate internet.、Yeah. That's very important to note. Google is the biggest lobbyist in Washington D.C. AT and T and Verizon worked closely with the NSA to to expose、uh, an illegal spying program、uh, in the context of the Snowden revelations、uh, on Americans. So, yeah, wait, AT and T and Verizon worked with the NSA. Well, they they provided data、uh, oh, oh, to the NSA. Okay, not to, to help expose it. It、oh no no sorry sorry it was、Snowden. exposed right, but right. The, the exposure showed that they did that right yeah, and and yeah. Snowden is still in exile oh absolutely、yeah. and and would be in in deep deep his life would be in deep danger right if he came back to for、US. for exposing and he's、truth. not even being promised a truly fair trial yeah so he you know those are just examples of of, of the lid temporarily be blowing off、yeah. a cauldron that is that is threatening. Uh, working people, minorities, people who have never had power, are in even further danger with this version of the internet. Right. Is this part of a larger flow of history toward globalization? We're calling globalization,、uh, which you know happened in the Clinton administration economically.、Like、neoliberalism. Right, and then you you see the internet sort of almost as a not a response to that, but sort of a following wave. There's this globalization of labor markets and and which disempowered unions and、Absolutely. and working class people in the United States. The environment. Yeah, and it's all being sold. Always, everything's being sold as it's going to make your life better. And、right. by the time you figure out that it's made your life worse, it's too late. Yeah, I mean, look, like a- Amazon and and Google, you know, for example, are efficient consumer facing services. You know, Uber is inexpensive. There's some evidence that shows that Uber prices are actually artificially subsidized to be cheaper, so that we、uh, buy into them, so then we provide more data to them. You know,、mm. um, but because the data is the real product, because it allows Uber to be a leg up with other industries like、mm. automated vehicles and so on. So、yeah. you always have to look at valuation and speculation. That's a huge、yeah. part of the way capitalism functions ideologically. Right. Like Amazon's never made a profit, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's incredible. They got, a, they got a huge tax rebate, though. Unbelievably,、uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's the engine, the language by which globalization, and when we say globalization, we mean asymmetric, deregulated, capitalist-dominated globalization.
globalization, that form of of global uh, hegemony uh, wielded by the powerful, by powerful global elites. You know, generally in America and China dominate this, but it's global. Um, technology is now the vehicle. It's the it's the instrument by which much of this occurs. Right. Yeah. Um, right. These just in time. Uh, manufacturing processes wouldn't be possible without minute by minute internet connection or coal tan mines in the Congo. Right, right. right. Are, we know exactly th- what's come out of the ground today, so we know it'll be here in two weeks, so we can adjust. Yeah, we build our assembly line. So, assembly line in China, coal tan pulled out of the earth in Congo. American company to build devices for a global consumer market that are designed to die. That's mm. like a Monsanto seed, mm-hmm. planned obsolescence. Toss it away, put it back in the earth. It, it people might try to extract metals out of it, get cancer. Definitely degrades our soil quality and our air and so water, on, yeah. and our water. And and that's the pattern, right? That's a that's a pattern that is is sociopathic, actually. Well, so you're talking about uh, what I think of as a super organism within which we're embedded. I talk about this a lot in, in yeah. Civilized to Death and on my podcast. And that's why I'm, I said I, I was sort of against solutions, because I feel like we're caught up in this trajectory that's much larger than the Internet or, or capitalism or civilization or nation states or whatever. I feel like we're a larval stage for some emerging <laughs> life form that's emergence of uh, biology and technology. And um, that life form doesn't have any need for clean water or clean air. Mm. You know, it's sort of the Elon Musk uh, vision of you know, we're, we're with Neuralink our, and so on. Yeah, and our destiny yeah. is to go out and, and you know colonize other planets and and become this sort of you know you look at our our fantasy movies. You Ubermensch. Know, the, yeah. Well, mm. Ubermensch are in the in the technological age are half machine they're transformers cyborgs they're, yeah they're cyborgs yeah i mean it, it it's actually kind of a bit bizarre it's like you know sci-fi is very helpful because it actually reminds us of the different kinds of possibilities of what might be even at this very moment dreamed up and thought about and proselytized by these folks um it's really weird for me when i hear elon musk talk about uh, super ai and so on it's as if he is he he's creating something that he thinks is kind of potentially devastating for humans yet he's part of a process of creating it which to me sort of speaks more to his own um uh, a, a strange sort of uh, psychology and uh, of ethics, and sp- even almost a well, didn't spiritual... Einstein do the same thing? You know, helping to create uh, nuclear fission, and we he, build he it because we can, happen. not because we should. And if we don't, someone else will. Which again is why I feel like we're embedded within this this thing that's larger than us that it's very hard to see, but that impels us, compels us to work against our own interests as biological entities. That's a beautiful point. I mean, I think that, that we're we're almost getting to, a, I would say, an almost a spiritual element of this conversation, which is, you know, just sort of my take on this just personally. I'm, I'm really enjoying that I can actually reveal parts of myself personally also, which Please. I'm doing now, yeah. is, um, you know, I think as, as beings, uh, we both are captivated and seduced and really can be drawn into spaces of great amounts of compassion and interbeing, as someone like Thich Nhat Hanh would put it. That's the, you know, like of, of oneness of, of Om, you know, and then, and then on the other hand, it's very easy for us to get into, uh, self-serving, 
sociopathic, whether intended or not, uh, ambition, uh, you know, like a Howard Rourkean, Ayn Randian kind of like uh, bizarro world. And that also is motivating, right? There's a lot of dopamine that fires in the brain when, I think, when that happens, just like when we are exposed to porn, as well as exposed to hateful content online, which is part of the profit model of these businesses is to, not intentionally, but to share with us whatever content uh, they they that that their computational systems select that will get our attention that will get us addicted lock us in so we can wire the digital world in those two very different ways that's the reason why I won't call myself solutionist but I would say that there are possibilities to uh, to shape technology in the former image in an image in 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 relation to principles of compassion of equity of interbeing of of deep appreciation for diversity right and a lot of my work uh, before beyond the valley and even some that's in this book um, are examples of indigenous peoples for example creating technologies digital technologies mobile phone networks out of the image and spirit of collectivity out of cosmologies that come out of the Sierra Norte and Sierra Sur de Oaxaca, you know, like Zapotec communities building networks because they believe in community radio. So they're building cell phone networks in that same model. Mm. Um, I give examples of activists in the Arab world fighting for justice, fighting for an equal world. And yes, it's still, we're still not there in Egypt where I worked for a couple of years uh, and using technology, not because they simply used Facebook, but they used it subversively, tactically. They knew how to use it to influence their larger population, the vast majority of whom never even heard of Facebook. So, you know, these yeah. are stories of human creativity in the spirit of collectivity. And it's interesting, you remind me um, in two aspects of what you just said uh, of this idea that Silicon Valley was a convergence of technology, Hewlett Packard in, in particular, and the psychedelically informed, yeah. you know, Bay Area, that there was totally. something about psychedelics that gave rise to this sort of thinking outside the box, um, almost a humanistic approach to technology yeah. that we see in the early internet. Absolutely. So, you know, and even today when we talk about like mycelial networks, right? Like, right. And, and like kind of, uh, you know, terrestrial like fungal networks, it's just magical. They People describe that people like Paul Stamets Paul describe Stamets, that yeah. as like the earth's natural internet. Right. And, and, and it's sort of like the internet is incredible. It is rhizomatic, right? The, mm. the kind of concept of Deleuze and Guattari, yeah. which is like a rhizome is like a fungal, uh, non-centric, no center network. And the internet, the internet looks like that, right? It is a decentralized network architecturally. But the thing is someone lived in the middle, like uh, every peer to peer transaction has been monitored, surveilled, extracted, captured, and manipulated right so the centrality emerged within the network itself by sniffing and surveilling uh you know in a panoptic sense hmm. what was occurring in that network yeah. so yeah i mean you know the the stewart brands of the world right he was like a buddy of uh ken kesey mm. and you know there was it was kind of a white culture but it was and but it was a hippie culture that was interested in environmentalism i mean john perry barlow right who was sure. part of the grateful dead was like the founder of the electronic frontier foundation which was an incredible organization dedicated to civil rights and and privacy rights and justice issues so you know the internet has these sorts of ambivalences in its history and it and a lot of the fetish and the and the parties and the festivals and the the um 
how do you say it, like the totems almost of of psychedelic culture have been appropriated by Silicon Valley capitalists. I mean, most notably Burning Man, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, and you have these guys investing all this money in, uh, you know, eternal life, uh, Peter Thiel and those, I I think that's an incredible waste of money, but, um, how Curtis is that? Weil as well. Yeah, yeah. How how I write about these guys in the book oh, as do well you? and beyond the valley. Oh god, yeah. I'd love to talk with you longer. They, there's so much here that that sort of overlaps with with my thinking because I'm all about prehistory. Yeah, and you're about like the cutting edge in into the future. And they, there is a circular circular kind of aspect to it. Yeah, I like that expression. History is what's happening. You know. Yeah, and it's kind of like that. You know. Yeah, it, it, they yeah. all relate. They yeah. all relate. Well, and it is. I mean, there is. This this sort of spiral sense of history. I feel like we're we are now going into a sort of uh, a second wave of the late '60s. I mm-hmm. feel like there's a, a, a revolutionary smell in the air. Absolutely, um, and that's another thing that I think is really important to note. I mean, the internet also can be a facilitator of this, right? I mean, I am, you know, as I mentioned to you. Uh, Chris, I'm I am a national surrogate for Bernie Sanders, so you know I, I need to disclose that. How are you? Oh, yeah, oh, cool. yeah. I work for the campaign. I mean, pro bono. Do you but know like, Josh Fox? Uh, oh well, sure. I yeah, mean, his, a, his I don't know him personally, but his his uh, his movies are, oh, are, yeah. are amazing. He's a friend of mine. He's, oh, that's he's cool. A Bernie delegate. I would I love to meet him sometime. Yeah, I mean, I think I think his work is heroic. Actually, yeah. um, he's one of the people I most respect, and of of all the artists and storytellers mm. today. Um, Gasland was Gasland, incredible. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, um, yeah I see. Uh, seen, I think I've seen everything he's made. Um, yeah. So what I was going to say is like, you know, what what is the Bernie movement uh, trying to achieve? And even even Warren's movement is is about um, bringing working people together, and the internet can facilitate that too, right? Like twenty seven bucks is what the average donation was in twenty sixteen. Mm-hmm. Eighteen bucks now. Yeah. You know, the largest donors are of any organization are Walmart employees. These are not the wealthiest people in the world. Right. Teachers, you know, so like we can aggregate the working and middle class because there's a lot more people in that condition than the people who hold the instruments of power. And so the internet yeah. can bring these things together too. It can. It doesn't have to be sniffing and surveilling and psychologically manipulating like the Cambridge Analytica example or like the Russia example. But isn't that a natural outgrowth of creating this environment that it there are going to arise you know, there's this huge motivation to find ways to make money from it, to find ways to accrue power, you know, data mining, find find a way to make money from this. That's what the whole thing's about these days. I think it depends what direction we want to take things. And I do think that I, I do agree with you. I would never be so naive to not think that power will introduce itself into any technology. And this is the great technology of our time. And the Internet isn't just like Facebook, by the way. It's it's the language. It's talk technologization mm. of our lives, yeah, right? right? Like when we sit here in this NPR studio, there's probably multiple sensors and surveillance systems that are gathering data on us right sure. now. When we uh, enter in our so-called 5G networks, we're going to be tracked everywhere, anywhere. Yeah, uh, I, I use uh, my, my fingerprint to open my phone. It didn't go. occur to me until after I'd already had it. I thought, oh, that's great. I don't need to put in a password. Oh, yeah, now my and fingerprint's Apple, up there. Apple, which brags about privacy, it. though now they've admitted they're listening to recorded Siri conversations. Apple, which brags about privacy, uh, does uh, looks at your eyes right. to open the iris. It. I mean, it, oh, it's convenient. Yeah. Give us your iris. Exactly. Yeah. So all so so yes, we're at this amazing inflection point. What I try to argue for in Beyond the Valley is 
what does it look like to try to arrive at a world that where technology lifts all boats? Yes, it can lift business interests. Yes, it can even maybe coexist within some sort of system of balanced capitalism. Perhaps. I'm not sure. Since campfires and arrowheads, when has technology lifted all boats? Well, I mean, I would say writing was a pretty profound democratizer, you know? Really? Um, You don't uh, think that concentrated power? Have you read Against the Grain? I I know of the book. I didn't read that book. He argues that the reason grain was so Mm. important to early civilizations is that it could be counted. Mm. It could be taxed. Right, like any, you can't tax yams. Any technological innovator is likely to um, is likely to build out those innovations in ways that support their own personal and and self serving interests. However, uh, technological innovators can take those innovations can be transformed, subverted, appropriated, applied in a range of different ways. Yeah. And in Beyond the Valley, right in this new book, I try to give examples of technology innovators that you would not even imagine who are actually balanced in their way of building. They're building businesses, but they're also serving their communities. Mm. And a lot of small businesses do that. Like I B mean, Corps? Well, not just that. I think even more like on the ground. Like, so I give an example of a company. This might blow your mind, man. Is um, called Africa Born 3D, that is using almost 60% recycled, discarded e-waste electronics, and is building in Nairobi, in Kenya, mm. and is building 3D printers out of them. Hmm. And they have built a sustainable business that employs a number of people. Their printers are a fraction of the cost of American and Chinese printers, and they work much better hmm. because they're designed with, an, with people who live in places who understand the realities of those places environmentally, infrastructurally, culturally, hmm. economically, right? So they can stand up to the humidity and fluctuating currents and all et cetera. That. Yeah, interesting. So this is a whole other model of innovation, and that's yeah. what I argue for in the book. I say these words discursively have been hijacked by branding, honestly. Branding is a huge part of American capitalism and uh, actually other forms of capitalism too. But what is innovation really? Is an innovator someone who builds a phone that's designed to die, that creates e-waste and is extracted out of uh, minerals out of our earth, mine, actually illegal mines in many cases? Or is innovation being resourceful, doing more with less, mm-hmm. um, being both environmentally as well as business conscious? Yeah. That's a whole other way. Is innovation hustling? Is it rigging? What is hacking really? Right. You know, like let's let's open up the language. And so, you know, the vast majority of internet users, as I mentioned, are across the global south. Many of the, and I'm not trying to exoticize them, but I do see firsthand right in front of me examples of profound creativity that come from innovating with scarcity, right? Innovating with constraint. What might one might call broken worlds thinking. So, how do we? Um, it, it seems clear that we need to change the incentives. We need to create uh, yeah. incentives where innovating, doing more with less, doing more with less pollution, less resources, fewer resources, uh, rather than making more money for the company becomes the driving, uh, the, the driver of innovation, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. It certainly seems, you know, when I look at Bernie's campaign, and, and I'm a big supporter of Bernie awesome. as well, um, I see a return to hunter-gatherer values. I see political debates as basically between farmers who are Republicans, individualists, I got mine, you go get yours or you know, get the hell away from me. Sure. Um, you're on your own, buddy, versus hunter-gatherers, which is we take care of one another, you know, we, you know, united, we stand, divided, we fall. That's a hunter-gatherer. The best place to keep extra food is in your friend's stomach. That's a hunter-gatherer <laughs> right. you know, approach to life. Um, but do you think that we've 
we're still at a point where government can constrain corporate power. Yeah, I mean, as long as our government are not bought out by corporations. But they are. Yes, they are. They? they are. But, and the but, United States government is gone. But we're in the midst gone. of a huge transformation. As you said, you could smell it or feel it in the air where people across the border unhappy with the status quo. Yes, they did choose to detonate the system with a hypocrite that they that they voted for in 2016 and much worse. Um, but there is, you know, to this day, the most popular politician in the country, if you just look at approval rates or integrity, you know, who do you trust, is Bernie Sanders. Hmm. It is. There's something powerful and revealing about someone who not only is diagnosing the problem, but proposing solutions that seem humane. You and know? he's been consistent. I saw, he came oh, and yeah. spoke where I went to undergrad oh, cool. in upstate New York in nice. like 1983. Wow. Said he was the mayor of Burlington, Vermont at that point. Wow. He was saying the same things he's saying now. That guy. <laughs> it's astonishing. He believes it. And, he, and he's uncorruptible. He's no, you can't buy him. No, you know, forget no. about it. And yeah. you know, so there is this whole option of, and and I've made this point as a surrogate that uh, Senator Sanders actually is supportive of small businesses, hmm. and it's small businesses that are the actual engines of job growth. Yeah, and sure. every data shows that, like eighty-seven percent from one study I saw of all new jobs created are created by small businesses. What Sanders is trying to do, and this is what the digital economy needs to do, is support small businesses as well. Right. So again, right. Google, you deserve your money. Amazon, uh, I like them a little less. You deserve your money, etc. Okay, Nobody get your money, but money. not at this cost to the rest of us. Right, right. And you have to, at the minimum, come clean. What do you know about us? How do you use what you know? How do you? How do you? How long do you keep what you know? How? Uh, what influences what you we show you? And how stop you... asking me to agree to things you know damn well I didn't read. Yeah, that, that that to me is sort of an emblem of this whole technological thing. There's no such thing as as uh, op, you you by default are opted in. Right. And and even when there seems to be a mechanism to opt out, you can't really do it. You can't like, do it. oh, don't agree, then your computer People won't work. People who never created a Facebook account, there's evidence that shows data has been collected about them. Well, by sure, because they're in photographs Precisely. that someone else posted, even, right? Even without that, even yeah. more liminally. Really? Yeah, and it's 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 the the absence of that disclosure. So that's why I think Americans across the board are fed up with this because a lot of people just don't like the privacy stuff, the liberty stuff, mm. the libertarian stuff. Right. A lot of us people like me think systemically, and it's scale and realize that these sorts of systems are disenfranchising women, yeah. people of color, working class people, indigenous people, yeah. and and our environment, which is like the biggest crisis of all. Exactly. The biggest crisis of all. Hey, I know that, I mean, obviously we could go on for hours here. I know you have a call you need to get to, so I want to like man. end it by bringing it home because to me, uh, and I, I say this knowing that I have a personal bias, but I also... I, I wrote the introduction to a, a book I, I put out recently um, that was excerpts from the podcast it's called Tangentially oh, nice. Reading. Yeah. And uh, in that intro, I made the argument that podcasting is, I think, potentially on a par with a printing press. That's cool. Um, because you and I can have this conversation talking shit about Google and Facebook and whatever we want to talk about. And there's nothing between us and the listeners. There's no company stopping us. There's no censorship. There's, uh, I guess, someone else controls some part of the infrastructure. But right. so far, iTunes and all that stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, 
where do you see that going with your your perspective on this? Do you think podcasting will stay as free as it is, or is this a golden age that we're going to lament? That's a lament? great question. Hard to know, but I do agree with what you feel about podcasts. And I do also want to make the point that across the world when I travel, there is one technology that I see across the board that communities are using in their own self-determined or collectively determined purposes, and it's very similar to a podcast, radio. Hmm. radio yeah. is a technology yeah. you see everywhere right now with the bolivian coup you see attacks on all these indigenous community radio stations huh. i wrote a couple papers about them when i used to do field work in bolivia so it's 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 really um what a podcast is is an is is a conversational expression that any and all of us can create it is really like what has been what was beautiful and to some extent remains beautiful about the internet and i think as long as we can just have those conversations and, 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 and try to overcome the forces of mediation, of transparency and invisibility that are algorithmically supportive of corporate private interests rather than our own, then we can go somewhere with it. Hmm. But it's a long way to go, man. I mean, I, yeah. I agree with your criticisms and concerns, you know, but I, I am, as you can tell, like revved up and excited and ready to lead in the space. Yeah. And that's why I do what I do. Yeah. Great. I, I would love to talk again. I yeah. Just someone who's got the perspective of the humanities and engineering, I think that's such an important, uh, I guess you're probably familiar with Tristan Harris and sure. his, his arguments. Sure. Um, all this right. is much more systemic and cultural, the way I'm trying to describe yeah. my work. Um, yeah. It's less about effects of technology and less about like this is much more giving us a lot more power. Um, mm. It's a much more, my critiques and my concerns and where we can go are much more foundationally rooted in power and voice, right. and culture and diversity in a deeper way. Um, not, not to critique Tristan. I mean, I appreciate that he's popularized the effects that are problematic. Right. But um, what I'm attempting to do, as, as someone who came up through this world and has traveled 80 countries, I've been doing field work, you know? Like, I see the magic of our world and in that, a path forward. Mm. Your dog is licking me, I think. <laughs> I, I mean, she's tired of she's NPR. Tired. Enough of this. Get of me out of here. Uh, tell people where they can find your work and, and Beyond the Valley is available everywhere. Don't yeah. buy it on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Beyond the Valley is is available on the on multiple sites. It's available via my my website. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Ramesh Media, R A M E S H M E D I A, um, on the MIT Press website. Um, it's linked to my website as well. It is available on Amazon. It's available in lots of bookstores and independent bookstores. Uh, we'll be doing an event. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. If, this will probably air after that. But with the Young Turks, I'll be doing an event at the Skylight Books. They hold the book. Oh, nice. A lot of cool bookstores have this book. Yeah. Um, and they can see you on the Young Turks. And I saw absolutely. you on Morning Joe. Yeah, I, I, that was good. <laughs> that was that the was morning that that was the. And I tried to make these same points there, right? Yeah, a very yeah. different audience. But you heard me. I was trying to say the same, oh, yeah, the same yeah. thing there. Yeah, it was. That was good. And I, they kind of let me say what I. And they had a clip of like from 1994. Everyone's like, so what? is internet exactly. it was great yeah all right ramesh thank you very much thank you i really enjoyed it chris more me too. soon me thanks too. man yeah okay mom uh, tell people what they can order from the garage okay in our cottage garage we have lots and lots of t-shirts sex at dawn civilized to death vanthropology tangentially speaking paleo modern and talking out of my ass <laughs> <laughs> she didn't like saying that last one then we now have some new things added we've got beer cozies 
or koozies or whatever they're called. Oh, civilized to death design. They're all civilized That's right. to death. We have stickers and car decals, right? Yes. Okay. There you have it. That's Julie, my mom. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're going to say. Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation It's a big deal if you want to be free. Say what you want to feel. Spend the night with me. I'm gonna take you up in my arms. And if we must go down, we'll go singing to the smoke alarms. We'll dance into the ground. 